you have your Bible, I'd like for you to open it to the book of Acts. And uh, go ahead and open that to Acts chapter 9. That will be the text for tonight's lesson. Back a few years ago, when I had just graduated from college, um, we, we began a work in uh, Nitro, West Virginia. Uh, they had a house right there beside the church building, a parsonage that uh, we lived in. And I was so green, you know, I wet behind the ears. I didn't know how to take care of things. If something went, I never had that, uh, you know, mechanical uh, ability to fix things and so forth. And so every little thing that went wrong at that house, I was clueless. Now, uh, I, I can say that I'm much better at taking care of things now. You know, Kim can go for a week and, you know, I've got all kind of meals I can fix. And, and uh, you know, I, peanut butter and crackers and uh, bananas and, you know, you can do a lot with that. But anyway, but at that time, I was pretty helpless. And there was a man, his name was Bo. He was probably an, uh, close to a grandfather's age in relation to me. Bo was constantly doing things for us. He, he kind of kept his eye out for us and he would take care of things that needed taken care of. He would do some repair work inside the house that needed to be done. The roof would leak and he would get on the roof and he would fix the, the leaks and so forth and everything. And not just me, but for the church. He and his wife were constantly there doing whatever they could, using whatever talents they had in uh, service to God. We moved to Glasgow, Kentucky, and uh, during that time there, there was a man there who for quite some time had fallen away from the Lord. He knew in his youth, he was brought up uh, attending church, he obeyed the gospel in his youth, and somewhere along the line, he just kind of strayed and uh but he came back and when he came back he came back with a vengeance uh he came back on fire for the lord and you couldn't stop that man i mean if the youth group needed something they had it if the youth group hey you think you, the youth would want a um you know a coke dispenser well yeah coke dispenser sitting there the next day you think you could use a freezer one of those uh you know drop down freezers well, yeah, next day there'd be a freezer at the building uh, or an upright freezer. He was constantly doing whatever it was, whatever needed to be done. Um, he was Johnny on the spot, constantly involved in doing good works for uh, the good of the church and still is today. And if we back up beyond my experience, well, a little bit further all the way back to Acts chapter 9, we read of another person like this. Her, her name is Dorcas, uh, or Tabitha, depending on whether you're talking about the Greek name or the Hebrew name or the Syriac name. Um, but let's look at chapter 9, and uh, let's pick up and just read the story, beginning in verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which translated, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. 
But it happened in those days, she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was uh, near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there. So they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them, and he had come, and when he had come, they brought him into the upper room, and all the windows um, stood by him, all the widows, excuse me, stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. Then Peter put them all out, knelt down, and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. That's the story. What I'd like for us to do tonight is to go through and just pick out a few things in this story. But the bigger picture is I want to challenge all of you tonight. Um, and not just one of the, I really want you to accept this challenge. It's specific. I want you to make a concerted effort to be a person of good works. What I mean by that is I don't want it to be, you know, oh, you get a phone call, somebody calls you, and, well, you got to go do something. They they ask you to do something. I don't want you to be just the person who, when called upon, you do something. I want you to be the person that's proactive. I want you to be the person who sees and thinks and brainstorms and plans for ways to do good. I want you to be the person that when someone reflects on your life, they say, that person was always doing good. You know, Bo was always doing good. Sam is always doing good. I want to live my life so that people can say, that person is always doing good. And it doesn't happen unless we decide to make that happen. You've seen, um, you know, those little cards a few years ago. Somebody would have a little piece of paper and they'd do something nice, pay somebody's bill, whatever. And then there would be this, you know, random act of kindness written down. And, and uh, people were doing random acts of kindness. That's close to Christianity in a sense, But it differs from Christianity in that Christianity isn't random. It's intentional. We we don't go about it just, oh, randomly, oh, here's an opportunity. Well, let's see, let's do something. Christianity involves intended thought and preparation to put ourselves in situations where we can do for good for other people. And I want us to consider this. First of all, look at verse 36. I think it's interesting too. As Dorcas is described, she's a certain disciple. This morning, uh, when Justin was preaching, uh, he asked the question, is it enough? You know, and I've, I've often thought, is it enough just to be a, a certain disciple? Are you good with that? Do you have to make a name for yourself? Can you just be a certain disciple? 
You know, in Romans chapter 16, as Paul brings that book to a close, he, in the latter part, that part that we often just kind of hurriedly read over because it has long names and it's just like so-and-so greets you and so-and-so greets you and he says hi and, and stuff. But there's a man who is named Quartus and it says he's a brother. Is it enough just to be a brother? No record of any great deed, no record of any huge, you know, earth-shaking accomplishment, but you're a brother in Christ. Man, that should be enough just to be able to say, I'm a brother in Christ. Dorcas isn't a leader in the church. She doesn't preach. She's not an elder. She can't be those things. She's a certain disciple. But boy, did she have an impact. She um, got sick, and when she died, uh, people mourned her passing. When she, uh, concerning her reputation, it says in verse 36 that she was full of good works. She wasn't somebody who occasionally did it. Uh, it wasn't when they, they called her and said, hey, could you do this? She was full of good works. And charitable deeds. And that's what I want to challenge you to be about. This is a time of Thanksgiving. You know, when's the last time you as a family or you as a husband and a wife, um, when's the last time you sat down and you thought about what good can we do this week? And who can we do it for? Have you thought in terms of that? making intentional acts of good and kindness and charitable deeds for another person. Not just, oh, when it falls in my lap, when I can't help but say yes to it. But but you go home and you think about and you plan for ways to do good, to impact people's lives. That's how you become full of good deeds and full of good works. Without that planning, we'll not be full of them. We may occasionally do some, but we won't be full of them. That takes intention, effort, and planning. Turn in your Bible. Keep your place there in Acts, but I want you to see the importance of good works in the book of Titus. Turn in your Bible to the book of Titus. I find it interesting that a lot of people, for a lot of people, good works Oh, works. That's that bad word. You know, we don't want to talk about works because of grace and they're not competing against each other. Um, we work because of the grace of God and um, we should be full of good works. Listen to what he says in Titus 2 and verse 7. He says, in all things, we should show ourselves to be a pattern of good works. Question. Is your life, is your family, the way you go about good works, could you set it up for the church as a pattern? Hey, follow the way we do it. You do good works like we do it, and the church will be a better place. If it's not, then we need to do some change in there. We should be a pattern of good works. Look at chapter 2 and verse 14. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and uh, purify himself, his own special people for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. We should be a pattern. 
We need to be, it's not something you have to drag your feet. Oh, great. Oh, here we go again. You know, this is something else I got to do this week. Uh, oh, I got to do that good on Friday. You know, it's going to ruin my day, but I'm going to do it because it's good. Zealous for good works. Look at else what he says in um, chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, be careful to maintain good works. And no, be careful. Give attention to this. Don't let this be haphazard. Don't let this slip out of your grasp. Be careful to maintain it. And then again in verse 14 of chapter 3, learn to maintain good works. God wants us to do good. In fact, I think of the good and what happens when you do good for somebody? You encourage them, you build them up, you lift them up. And just this afternoon I was reading from 1 Corinthians and I caught at the end of the book in chapter 16 and verse 18, he was talking about Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus and he says that they refresh my spirits. They were sent, and he said, you know, they refresh my spirit, and they refresh your spirit. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Those who do good works and build up the body of Christ deserve to be acknowledged. And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, well, you know, in my life, there was, there was Bo. You know, I, I remembered Bo. And I remembered Sam. There are people that just stand out. And in this congregation, you know, I, nobody's jealous here. You know, you can, but I, I, when I think of good works, I think of a couple people just right off the top of my head. I, I think of, and they'll shoot me, but Dave and Sue Benner. They're always doing something for somebody else. And they don't have to be told. Um, they're just doing it. Uh, the other day, you know, they were out there raking the leaves. And they didn't even get mad when I went out there and jumped in them and messed them all up. And uh, no, I didn't do that. But uh, you know, and, and then you know, you just you can just keep right on down the line. People who are known for good works. That's what I wanted you. I, I want your life to be such that when somebody thinks of you, they say, "Ah, that person is full of good works." That's what Dorcas was. And it's Christ-like. Jesus, in the very next chapter, chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus went about doing good. I want to be known for that. That's what I want people to remember me by. Well, they remembered Dorcas for this. And so when she died, there were people who mourned her passing. And they gathered together and they brought their stuff from home. They, they brought their quilts and they brought their, their things that she had made and, and they're showing, she, she made this and she, this is, she gave this to me and, and they're all comparing all the things that this lady had done. Just a certain disciple named Dorcas didn't hold a position, but she was just full of good works. And so when she died, it touched the church. They missed her. She impacted their lives. She wasn't an anonymous member. 
She invested herself in the lives of other people, and when she was gone, it left a void. You know, I I may have shared this with the church, I I don't know, but I I know I have in um, preacher in his work class with, with the guys, but... I was once asked to do a funeral for a man who wasn't a member of the church. Um, The funeral director said, this could be interesting. Because he told me his wife said, good riddance, I'm not coming. So here's a man who had a wife and he had children. And they said, he was a horrible man. We're not coming to his funeral. And so the day of his funeral, I was there, and we waited and waited, and sure enough, his wife didn't show up, his children didn't show up, not a single neighbor showed up, no one showed up for that man's funeral. How sad is that? To live your life. The, the funeral director said, well, I'll tell you what, no one showed up. We don't have any pallbearers. Will you just help me carry this to the gravesite and we'll uh, put them in the ground? And that was the testimony of that man's life. No friends. No good deeds to follow him. Nothing like this certain disciple named Dorcas. She made a difference in the lives of people. Let's do that. And again, let me chat. Sit down, make plans. Who are we going to help this week? And how are we going to do it? And next week, who are we going to help? And how are we going to do it? And, and the week after that, and take opportunities and brainstorm and think and imagine and dream and envision ways to make it a regular practice of touching people's lives and doing good so that when you're thought of, you're not just the person that occasionally did good. You're that person who was full of good works, like this certain disciple named Dorcas. And I find it interesting, too, as you get to the end, um, Peter raises her from the dead. I, I don't know necessarily why, he did, or maybe the better question is, why didn't he do it to others? Um, you can read in, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4 and verse 10, there was Trophimus who was left in Miletus and he was sick. Why, why wasn't that man healed? I, I don't know. He's a fellow laborer, but he didn't heal him. Why are some people made well and others aren't? I, I don't know. I do know this. It wasn't about trying to live forever. The purpose of miracles wasn't something that everybody just kept passing around to each other so nobody would ever die. And if you did die, we'd just bring you right back and we'll never, we'll, we'll be able to live forever. That, that wasn't the purpose. I think maybe the reason Dorcas was brought back is evidenced in verse 42. Because it says that when she was raised from the dead, it became known throughout all Joppa And many believed on the Lord. That was the purpose of miracles. To bring people to Jesus. To cause them to believe. And this woman was a high profile case. She had touched the lives of people. And she had captured their attention and and their love and appreciation. And she's gone. And God brings her back. And that 
catches people's attention. And many came to Christ because of of that particular miracle. Um, Have you ever wondered, and I I think of things like this, there, there is no answer, but you ever wonder if she wanted to come back? Have you ever wondered about Lazarus and uh, her and others that were raised from the dead and who died righteously? Do they say, you're kidding me. You brought me back. I got to do this some more. I- I'd finished and now I'm back. I don't know. And, and I'd also like to know what they talked about. Did did they share things that they saw? I, I kind of have my doubts about that to some extent because Paul, when he was taken to the third heaven, he said, you know, I saw things I, it's not lawful for me to share. And uh, I don't know what they could and couldn't say, but I dare say there were people who sat down and said, tell me about it. What was it like? Um we live oftentimes in fear and in dread of death. Uh, we do all we can to stay alive as long as we can. And that's, that's human. But the fear of death maybe shouldn't grip us as much as sometimes it does. I've used this illustration before. I don't know if I've used it here, but you know, I heard a number of years ago. If you could, if you could imagine a conversation, and this is impossible, but if you could imagine a conversation with a child that is still in the womb, and you're able to communicate to that child, and you say, "Tomorrow, you're going to be born," and that child says, "I'm going to be what? Born." I don't know what born means. Well, it, it, it's a transition from the state that you're in right now to a new state, and you're going to love it. I like it just where I am. I, I'm not into transitions. I, I'm happy right where I am. No, no, no. You'll like it. There, there's lights. There's sunshine. There's flowers. Plus, you get to see your parents face to face. I don't know what flowers are. And I like the darkness right here just fine. And, you know, and so there's this trepidation and the birth takes place and, and then you do. You get to be held and loved and you see the world and it's good. And all those fears of that transition, they were unnecessary. And I wonder if in some way that that describes us as we face death and and know that that day's coming. And the Lord says, it is appointed unto a man once to die. And we say, die? I've never done that before. Tell me about it. Well, it's a transition. It's not, you don't go out of existence. It's a transition from here to, to there. And when you get there, you'll see angels seraphim, cherub, and you'll be able to see the face of God. I don't know what cherubim are, and I don't know what seraphim are, and angels, and I like it right here. I'm comfortable with my surroundings here. And the Lord says, no, you need to make this transition. It'll be better, I promise you. 
And we go kicking and screaming and dreading. And I wonder if on the other side, when, when we wake up, you know, when, when that transition is done, I wonder if we come to the realization that wasn't bad. You know, he was telling the truth. This is good. And this is what I was living my life for. And I don't know why I feared this so much. It's just a transition. I don't know. It's interesting to consider, you know, what she might have thought about being brought back. I'm sure there's a side of her that says, I was home. But I'm sure because of her character, there was also a side of her that said, line up here and let me talk to you about my Jesus. She was given more time to minister and to be a disciple, that a certain disciple who lived 2,000 years ago. And we're still talking about her today. Because she was full of good works. I just want to encourage you this week as we go out and leave here to be full of good works. Don't approach it haphazardly. Don't wait to get the call to to go out and and do something good. Just, Just do it. Plan it. Brainstorm. Think. Be creative. Find ways that will... Not bring glory to you, but bring glory to God. Jesus working through you and in you. And if we do that, we'll leave a tremendous legacy. We'll touch the lives of people for the better. And we'll conform our lives ever more so closely to the life of Jesus, the one whom we're trying to imitate for he went about doing good. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, give your life to Jesus. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, make that decision tonight. Uh, If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you want to renew your zeal and dedication to his cause and to the good works that he calls us to perform, we'll pray for you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.